I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Welcome back to the French Rugby Podcast with me, Tim Groves, ex-Scotland international and adopted Frenchman, Johnny BT. No Benji this week. Left him on the side of the road in Dublin, Johnny. Did you catch up with him? He was running, running for a plane. He always is. No, mate, I am recovered. So it was actually meant to be over at the game with Benji for BT Sport, but COVID got the better of us. But we're finally out of quarantine. Everyone's tested negative, which has been fantastic. So now back to the beach, back to socialising, back working and back to regular life in France. So no, it's good to be back. It's been a good week. The kids have been back at school for two days, which has been absolutely priceless, Tim, as you can imagine. And no, back to normality. So it's been great. How's your week been, mate? You were in Dublin as well, weren't you? Go away, Dublin with Benji. A busy man he is. Stopped for coffees, left, right and centre. <laughs> few bottles of wine on the bus between the two of them. It was good. A good weekend. The rugby wasn't the best, but we'll get onto that, I'm sure. But no, a good weekend. And nice that you two got to catch up. The rugby in Galway was good. Elsewhere in Dublin, it was not so much. We had Zach on last week. Ugh. He didn't even get off the bench. <laughs> Nothing he could do about it. He'll be delighted not to have got off that bench and not have been part <laughs> of it. Like, obviously, it's humiliation. It's, com- it's complete humiliation. But how much of that is circumstances? How much of that is attitude? I don't know. But look, look I know... From arriving at Montpellier when I first played there and the stress and the toll that playing the top 14 takes on you and all your best players, um, it's a different proposition. I came from the Pro 14 as it was the URC now where your best players get rested. You don't get that luxury in the top 14. It is a total grind. So like I understand that I've been through both leagues. I understand the different attitudes for French teams when it comes to Champions Cup rugby. But look, the manner of it, it was just horrible to watch. It was car crash. But that's what you get when you have a side that hasn't been able to train together properly. It's had COVID, has to stick out the kids, is sticking out guys that are coming back from injury against the best side or one of the top three, four sides in Europe over the past 20 years. And it's a difficult balance, isn't it? Because... You mentioned the COVID issues they had. Nobody really knows who was back fit, who trained, who'd not trained. So some people are saying they should face sanctions for the team they put out. I guess it's not as simple as that, is it? No, it's not. But it's always going to be easier for the teams in the URC because there is no relegation. The top 14, you lose a few of your top players, you lose a couple of games and quite quickly you're down the bottom end of the table. And Montpellier have experienced that over the past couple of seasons and they will not want to repeat that experience. So... I can understand their choice in banking some players, even if they were fit, and saving them for the last home game this weekend before the top 14 resumes. But I think there has to be a different way of looking at the competition and making it a more level playing field because you cannot have, again, coming from Glasgow, where they have enforced rest periods for players 
Um, same at Leinster, same at Munster. You have guys like Johnny Sexton, who don't get me wrong, world class. He absolutely is, but he plays 10 to 12 games max for Leinster in a season and comes off the bench. Two thirds of them are in the Champions Cup as well. Exactly. Um, whereas you play against when I came through at Montpellier, the example would be I played with Francois Tranduc and Fulgen Sodrago, who were the captain and vice captain of our side. And they played every single weekend in the top 14 and Champions Cup and internationals. So they were looking at 30, 40 games a year. So, so you can understand these players have to be managed, that their loads have to be managed. But the difference with French rugby is it's not federations that are managing loads. It's people that are paying big money and presidents that want their pound of flesh and need their best players on their on the field to represent their clubs. And that's the difference. So in my mind, there has to be a different way of looking after the different interests and making it a more level playing field. But look, it wasn't pretty. And you can go to different levels. The rugby wasn't pretty at all. It was car crash. And then difference not like for Altrad, you know, front of Jersey representing both the French national team, now the All Blacks and Montpellier, but to have that out there as, you know, front of Jersey and that's what we represent, that isn't them. Bordeaux had a couple of kids out as well, but on a more positive note, they played some pretty special stuff against Scarlets, didn't they? For two seasons, they've been outstanding um, in both competitions as well. Um, they nearly went the distance last year as well. And that's with Santi Cordero as well, hauled into play nine <laughs> last minute, you know, the night before the game. Um, and he was sensational. And, and like you, they managed to mix together the power play that they're known for under Christoph Urios, the power, the aggression, the upfront, the, the sort of rugged D, the aggressive nature on the, on the game line. But then also some of the rugby, the French flair that we love talking about, the sort of slick of sleight of hand, the ball handling skills, the ability to keep the ball live and the continuity were also superb to watch. So again, a really, really good performance by a Bordeaux side that, as we mentioned, over the past couple of seasons have been superb to watch. And what did you make of the champions losing at 14 Man Wasps? I, oh, I'm i not sure how much to talk about Toulouse and how much to talk about Wasps because I thought Wasps were outstanding. Atkinson at 10, Barbieri, <laughs> absolute monster. But again, you have to appreciate the way Wasps set out. They pressed high indeed. They put Toulouse under a lot of pressure. And Toulouse were not getting the, the sort of change they're used to getting on the game line, you know, maybe missing a couple of key men, Charlie Famina. The difference on the bench as well that Joe, Joe uh, Takori character has made in the past, they just looked on that game line. They, they weren't quite getting over it the way they normally do. And they were in difficulty and they were made to look ordinary, which is bizarre for a Toulouse side of that pedigree. You've mentioned the winners, but a stat we picked up on a couple of weeks ago, Philippe Saint-André dropped it in and said, look, when Antoine Dupont's in the team, they've got a win ratio of 85% above when he's not there, 45%. And that absolutely showed, I think, in the lack of leadership, the lack of fluidity in 9 and 10 as well, the quality of kicking options, and just his ability to get them out of trouble really showed. So again, it's not often we say that Toulouse look ordinary, but that was one performance where, um, where they absolutely did. And look, they, they had a debutant at 9. They had, uh, I think it was Page Rello was playing 9. It was his first game. It's a big game to come in away to Wasp in a Champions Cup game and, and try and be outstanding. And it's almost mission impossible. So look, minus a few guys that were, were key and against the Toulouse side that were fired up, Toulouse absolutely, or sorry, Wasps absolutely deserved to win that game. We'll have a bit of a chat about the final round of the pool stages and the various permutations later on. And we've got a big guest coming on to fill Benji's boots as well. But first, France have announced their squad for the Six Nations. Yeah, There's been a lot of chat about England squad, a certain fly half missing out, <laughs> George Ford, Orlando Bailey in. And... There's one missing in France's squad as well, Mathieu Jalibert, but he's injured, isn't he? He is. So he got through maybe 40, 45 minutes at the weekend for Bordeaux and came off with a sort of muscle pain, muscle strain. Um, we're not too sure exactly how serious it is, but he's definitely going to miss the first two rounds of action with 
the French team. So he's being rested. And um, the other one that was actually the hot topic was Anton Dupont. And he's kind of been struggling with something niggling the past couple of weeks with Toulouse. And they've been very coy in the media with what they've said. And they said, look, just to wait, um, the, the French national team is going to give a press statement. They'll let you know what's happening. So there was a big question mark over his um, availability, if he was going to be fit. Um, unfortunately for the French team, he is. We saw how much he was missed at the weekend. Look fantastic for the French team, for French rugby. He's going to get the, the green light and, and partake in training and, and the go-ahead for the first round of games. Any surprises in there or significant omissions? It's quite a big squad, isn't it? 42 players. Yeah. Four people getting their first experience with the French team. Some more surprising than others. I'd say the most surprising for me is Daniel B.B. Baziru, who, again, has only been part of, I think, four games for, for Clermont this year. And the games that I've worked on for Premier Sports, he's looked a little bit loose on that loose head side scrum time. So not a sure thing. He's a front rower he used to play in the backs, right? Yeah. So he's a, he's a loose head now. And again, really dynamic, but it's it's the question marks more of a scrummaging. And, and you've got Cyril Bay, you've got Jean-Baptiste Gros, who are your first two choices. But, you know, any injury now, and he's shunted straight in, whereas before you could have had Collingar, Paeva, Prierzo, um, three guys that have been in the squad and been capped and, and performed at that level. So certainly after the experience he's had, he has been the biggest surprise, uh, physically very capable in the loose, but does he have the level to be an international scrummaging loose head prop? We'll wait and see. Um, he's certainly the biggest surprise. The three other new new faces, Yuan Tanga, the racing man, um, who's actually heading to La Rochelle at the end of the season. And uh, he was in the academy when I was in cast. Uh, again, such a talent, so dynamic, nuggety, combative, can play six and eight as well um, and can test really, really well over the ball. And I don't think he'll look out of place. Um, he's performed very, very well for Racing. We've also got Leo Birdo, who's come in from Lyon in the absence of Jali Bear. He's taken his spot. And again, might be a surprise for people that don't watch too much top 14 rugby regularly, but he's limiting game time for Lima Sapuanga, who's there. He's been composed great going forward with the ball in hand, decent in D, great goal kicker, and he's been absolutely bossing it for Lyon. So he won't be a surprise to Leon fans, but to people in the, the wider world that don't watch too much top 14 rugby, he'll be a surprise. But again, he's been fantastic for, for Leon this year. Um, and the last one is Jules Favre, who's just been exceptional for La Rochelle so far this season. I think he scored seven tries or something. I think he's the top joint top try score in the top 14 this year. I think he scored seven out of 12 games or, or seven out of 13 games. Very complete, again, aggressive, dynamic, can play... 12, 13 and wings who can cover a multitude of different positions, especially in the absence of Arthur Vincent, uh, another guy that can step in. So look, four new faces. Will they get game time? We'll have to wait and see, but certainly exciting. Um, and I'm sure our guest who's coming on in a minute can give us a bit more detail on Yuan, but exciting to have four more young kids coming through, playing regularly in the top 14 and giving their chance at the next level. Well, let's get our guest on now then and ask him about Yuan Tanga and others. He's part of the side that don't have to worry about any tension or nail-biting on the final day of the Champions Cup pool stages as Rassing have made it through comfortably. And we can have a chat now with their attack coach, Mike Prendergast. How are you? Good, thanks, lads. Good, thanks for having me on. Really good to have qualifications sorted around early. You'll obviously want to win this weekend, but the new format of the competition, does it? are you motivated by finishing top? Do you want to face an eighth-place team, have the second leg at home, or is it less important than it used to be, maybe? Uh, no, absolutely. I think it's been our, our goal, I suppose, since the start to try and finish in, in, the, in the top two. And I suppose where we are at the moment is is that number one. We'll have a, we have a game against Northampton the weekend and you look at it and I think they're second or third last in, in the table, but they can actually still make the playoffs as well. So um, to get into eighth position. So they've obviously something huge to play for. But yeah, look, we we are where we, we want to be and and we're hoping to, to finish on a high and get ourselves as, as high up in, in the rankings as we can. And looking back quickly at that game against the Ospreys, Finn 
Russell said after the game, nobody's really happy with that performance. Now that the debrief and the analysis has been done from a coach's perspective, were the things that you could take about that you were happy with? Yeah, he's he's right. There was a, there was a lot of stuff we, we weren't happy about. I suppose look, we we didn't get a, the opportunity to play on our terms, which which I suppose the previous Champions Cup game against Northampton we did, we were winning collisions. Our ruck speed was really good, and 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 that obviously you know gives Finn and the, and the likes more time on the ball, and and that. And as I said, it was credit to Ospreys didn't allow us to have that time in the ball. So, but look, there, there was positive as well. We showed good character towards the end to, I won't say pull away, but to get two late scores. And and that was uh, a lot to do with our, with our bench. We made a huge impact. You know, I know in France, call them impact players. And uh, a lot of times we're, we're waiting for it to happen, but you could see a huge impact with the likes of Kami Shah and uh, Sedak Omasa coming on. They just, they brought energy, uh, enthusiasm, and, and we were winning collisions and, after that, fortunately, it created a bit of space and we scored a couple of couple of tries near the end. But So I think they were the positives. But look, there's a lot we, we need to get better at. If, as I said, after the game, to, to go deeper into competition, we need to be better than that. And more broadly, you won the last couple, but before that, you had a bit of a shaky run in the, the top 14 in November and December. Has it just been a case of getting players back since then or has, have things changed behind the scenes? Yeah, we had. And look, it's 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 it's... I know every coach would say it's not an excuse. We had a, a, a big injury list, obviously, like every club with COVID. So we had everything kind of mixed in and and with a couple of poor performances, obviously, on top of that. And we identified stuff we needed to get better at. And I think probably in the last four or five weeks, our, our performances have, have definitely went up. Again, not to... I think if we were to reference one performance, it was probably in which I alluded to earlier, was probably the Northampton performance. Things fell well that night. Um, I just thought we brought a huge intensity to the to, to the game, and it's something I suppose coming from from where I've come originally and, and who I played with, Munster, uh, Heineken Cup or, or Champions Cup was always, you know, a huge priority. And uh, you hear about teams in France, about you know, not always turning up or, or sending mixed teams. The one thing I noticed, and I'm in Racing two and a half years ago. And the one thing I noticed the day I walked in. Um, well, a few months after I walked in, I should say, when the Champions Cup came around, just the intensity and the focus and everything just went on to a new level, which was a great thing for, for me to see. They wanted to win, the, the and they want, still obviously want to win the Champions Cup. They played in three finals. They'd lost two, so the hunger was there. And, and again, I saw that, I suppose, against, um, against uh, Northampton the week of it, and obviously through the performance, I think the weekend, as I said, we came up in short in, in certain areas. But there's definitely a level of that we just seem to jump up another level in terms of, as I said, our, our energies around around the week and, and around the game, you know. So hopefully we can, uh, as I said, we're always looking to get better. So hopefully we can we can improve in the things we identified today, actually, in the video. And when it does go right, you mentioned that game against Northampton, which mm. is pretty much as well as a game of rugby can go. I mean, it was that good. It must be almost incredible sometimes to be part of a squad with that amount of depth, that amount of talent and be a backs coach for them. you got Finn, Fiku, Vakatawa, Beal, Toma, Imoff. I mean, it must be a fantastic day-to-day job, a fun club to be part of. And when it goes well, it must be incredible. Yeah, and on a night like that where where things, as I said, they, they fell our way as well. We made them happen. And, you know, I, I keep saying that you can talk about having all those backs, absolutely, and we do. Incredibly talented guys, but bit of a cliche, but unless you do it up front and, and, and provide a platform and, you know, you often hear about the scrum and the line out and absolutely that's huge. But um, I just, I have a big thing around the breakdown as, as an attack coach. And when we get that right and we win those collisions, that's when we really see the likes of Finn and the likes of Vermeer and Gale and guys like this just really being, being able to express themselves. 
And going back on the weekend, I don't think that happened because we didn't win collisions. But from a day-to-day dealing and and um, working with these guys, yeah, it's it's look first and foremost. I've always said it: they're actually an incredibly good bunch of boys to, to coach. There's good fun around them. They're all very different kind of characters and individuals. They know when to get serious, which is a big thing in terms of training. Once we're on the training ground, the boys switch on. But outside that, there's they're yeah, they're incredibly good lads to work with. Very very talented. But very humble guys and just want to work, want to get their detail right and want to improve and want to win stuff, you know. And, and you can see that over the last couple of years. We've been just short of, of winning the Champions Cup and, you know, semi-final last year in the top 14, the one in 2006. So we're not a million miles away. we just got to get over that 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 hump and, and, and try and, you know, win a trophy soon. But... As you alluded to, yeah, there's there's a, there's a lot of talent within that within that squad. And on the flip side of that, if you've got all of that talent, can it be a case of if they do well, if they do the job, oh, the players are brilliant. If they don't, it's the back sketcher's fault. Yeah, I know. I, 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 don't, <laughs> I, I don't think so. I don't think so. I think when you're when you're a coach, you, you, it's all about consistency, you know. And uh, and I suppose that's the thing. Maybe you know you alluded to earlier on about we had a little patch there. I suppose. Kind of a month or two into the season where we, where we lost games and we weren't playing particularly well and we just weren't consistent enough what we were doing through the 80 minutes. We were actually playing well in patches um, and, and for half the games. But in this league, as as we know, the top 14, you, you don't get away with that. So um, it was something we identified, uh, we identified sorry, as, as a squad that we just need to be in the fight longer and consistently. Um, just our concentration levels, everything. And it's something I think that... Uh, it's probably, I suppose, over the last, I said, four or five weeks, which has got better. So when we were losing those games, me as a coach, players, we'd all put our hand up. We, we've got to have that very open um, policy here. Um, that's why, they're, as I said, the boys are a pleasure to deal to deal with and a pleasure to coach. And, you know, we work in one way, so it's never anyone's, any one person's fault. So, um, but yeah, when you win, it's obviously a lot nicer. And one of those blokes, you mentioned the fun and, and the the time you have away from the field, but the detail and the work that goes in behind the scenes. Mm. One of my old ex-teammates, Finn Russell, I feel gets a bad rap quite a lot of the time, gets this maverick tag, but I know how hard he works behind the scenes. The detail yeah. that goes in and the vision that we see, the rugby IQ that we see on a pitch that sometimes look effortless, but the amount of graft that goes in behind. I wonder you give us a little word on Finn, the detail that you see being his attack coach mm. week in, week out, how he operates um, and what he adds to the racing team. Yeah, look, we, we all see that the talent he has is, is incredible. Absolutely. Uh, his skill set, his ability on the line, things he can do with the ball. That's why he becomes so hard to, to mark and to defend. But there's work, as you said, there's work behind that. He, Finn is a, is a guy, he's, he's quite a discreet guy, as you would know. Um, so he does a lot of his video work discreetly on his own, stores it in his head. He's not the type of tenor, he's not the type of leader that's going to be, you know, roaring from the, the, the rooftops. He, he's not that kind of a type of bloke. He has it inside. He gets his little one-liners, his messages across, and he and he he drives us well in terms of to get around the pitch. If you look, you know, obviously people talk about a ball in hand, hundred percent, but. He's kicking, obviously, he's short attacking kicks, and it's something we work together very closely on, that we, we look for that kick space. But also, I think over the last number of years as well, his kicking in general has become a very, very strong um, part of his game. So um, he's worked on, and that's obviously, that's physical work, but in terms of his video analysis and stuff, he's, he's incredibly good at finding space, knowing where it is, knowing when to pull the trigger, to go for that pass, to try and put a Kirtley away or a Vermi away or whatever it may be. And, and that doesn't happen by accident. Of course, he has it in his in his armour with his skill set, with his passing with his passing range, I should say. But 
he, he's a guy who said, as you said, he, discreetly, he does a lot of work behind the scenes in terms of his analysis to have it in his head that he knows how teams are set up. So if he's going into fourth, fifth, sixth phase, deep into phases, he can get a general feeling how how they defend. And, and that's why you look at him and you can see him and he expresses himself so well on the pitch. And he's very hard to, to obviously to defend, but it's a credit as well to, to the players, obviously, that are around him in terms of, you look at someone like Wanimov as a winger, the amount of work where he does off the ball. So there's a lot of stuff that's happening off the ball. It's helping Finn as well, you know. But um, to work with a, a incredibly good fella, uh, good fun, which is really important as well. Uh, good fun off the pitch. And um, but as I said, he, he's another one of the, of the players that once you get past the white line, he knows when to switch on. He knows he, he's at work. But um, yeah, just a, an incredible player when 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 things are going right and he's he's in the he's in the groove. He's a hard man to to defend. And he's not a maverick. And you both talk about how hard he works. He, we all see him juggling balls in the warm up, and really, he loves to smirk, which some people don't like. But is it? Is he actually that relaxed? Is that something that he needs to do himself? He's incredibly relaxed, and for me, I, I, I wouldn't be a type of person would try and change that because he performs, and that's his way of doing it. And I think if you take him out of that and you try to change him, I don't know would he be able to you know, potentially perform at, at, at his best, then he, that's the way he likes to prepare. Um, and it's something that works for him. And as, as we, as we know, and we've said, he's, he's up there in the top couple of tens, if not the best in the world. So what he's doing, he's not doing too far wrong. So, um, and what that, that can have actually quite a, quite a knock on effect in terms of a positive effect as well. Cause he doesn't stress he's, he, whenever he's under pressure, he just keeps things calm and, He's the same on the pitch, and as I said, that can have a, a good knock-on domino effect to to players, especially when you're you're, you're in those tight moments and in tight games, and, and you need someone to step up and you need someone to be calm. And the boys know how he is, and and they react to it very very well. You know, I know there's certain tens there that you know are very very vocal and animated, and and look that works. And players get used to that because they're training with them every day, and they probably know it's not something that they're doing to. You know they're doing they're doing it to, to improve the team. Finn does it in a, in a different manner, and it's just more of a, a relaxed manner. And the players feed off it very well. And the most important thing is he gets his point across, he gets his message across, and in whatever manner, whatever way, whatever manner you get it across, most important thing is it gets across, and and, and that's what Finn brings. You know, but um, it's as I said, it's not by chance we see a lot of this magic happening on the pitch. As I said, he. He scans team, he scouts teams, he scouts defenders individually, he scouts the backfield, he scouts how, how wingers of half-field rocks, how the defender to come up hard as the kick space there. So he's very well equipped before he goes into the weekend. And that makes your job as any professional, that makes your job a lot easier, you know. And as your job as a coach, specifically as a backs coach, I'd imagine if you have a 10 that's limited in certain respects, it can limit your limit your spec as a job and what you can expect and what you can get out of your backline. So does having somebody like Finn, who has such a wide and varied skill set, make your job more interesting? Possibilities more varied, your different options in attack. Clearly, you talked about little kicks. The, the fact he's able to execute, does it broaden yourself as a coach as well? It does, a huge amount. You, I've, I've learned a huge amount. We're always learning as we go along. I, I've been in you know, four different clubs over here in, in, uh, in France. I suppose four different challenges. I was with Grenoble and INX, which was uh, great experiences. You're, you're fighting to stay up 
which made it really exciting. I know it sounds crazy, but that, that was the reality. You're fighting to stay in the top 14. And I was at Stade Francais for, for, for a season and then come over here to Racing. So in all the different um, clubs and environments, there's been different challenges. You're working with different tens. Some tens are obviously different to a lot, but uh, someone like Finn, I suppose he does. Yeah, you, you know that, I suppose, as a coach, you can get so much out of him. But it's got to do as well what's around him. Um, and as I said, we're lucky here with, with the backs that we have in terms of talent, in terms of things like catch pass. You look at someone like Kurtley Beale, even on the weekend, we were losing a couple of collisions. We went to an edge. Kurtley gets one good, really good catch pass, puts Teddy down the edge and you score. And, and that kind of separates, the, I suppose, the, the quality players. And you, you could see that. And it does make it really exciting because you're looking at what different photos and what different pictures we can present to teams on the weekend, whether it's this match now, we might do something, but also something we do in this match, or if we do it a different way in the following match, it's painting different pictures to the to the defence. And with Finn, because of his skill set, he can make these decisions. He's probably the best 10. Sorry, he is the best 10, I, I would imagine, in the world, or I think he is the best 10 in the world, to make a decision so late on the line, whether that's a ripping a pass across or going on a little, as I said, half field, little kick space, little kick pass, I should call it, but really late on the line. Um, that becomes really hard to defend. So, as I said, from, from a coaching point of view, there's a lot of stuff I've actually learned through how Finn plays as well. You mentioned earlier, your job becomes very difficult if your forwards are going backwards. So, mm. how much are you looking forward to unleashing a back line behind a pack that includes Trevor Naokane and... How is he settling in? Yeah, great. He's come over. He's over. He's here a couple of weeks now. He was back out. He was onto the pitch, sorry, with us today as, as a team for the first week or so. He was he was he was adapting and just in terms of conditioning and whatnot. But um he was out with us today. Really good fella, really positive, chirpy guy. And he's gonna as a player, obviously his quality. We've seen it over the last number of years, what he's gonna bring to us. And what it does is as well, we've we've the boys that are already in place have been going well this year. So it just obviously pushes standards and competition up and that's at the end of the day that's that's what you try and build in clubs and um you look at the best teams in Europe I suppose one that springs to mind you look at Leinster at the moment and the chart depth they have and the, the depth they have is 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 very it's an impressive place to be where they are so that's I suppose where we're we're looking at to get or we're looking to get and we're we're and um, we're always working on just to try and really keep depth in in, in every position. So as I said He'll, he'll obviously he'll come in as I said the boys are in place there at the moment and um, but he's he's a world class player that's you know he's got huge experience um, he's got a great skill set as well as, as as a prop but also it's more importantly for us is what he'll bring in, in the tight exchanges you know He'll be massive for you absolutely massive uh, let's talk a little bit about your, your coaching journey because you mentioned a few of the clubs that you'd uh, been at over the past few years but initially moving from Young Munster to mm-hmm. Grenoble and you played at Bourguin as a player but taking that coaching leap from Young Munster to Grenoble how did that come about and how big a decision was that? Yeah so I was I was coaching I, I was playing with Munster um, my last year in 2009 and I was retiring at the end of that season and Young Munster which would be my clubs for, for many years um, which I played with and um, I was finishing up with Munster and trying to see what I would do, going to the, back into the big bad world and look for a job. Or I'd always, obviously, ambitions of coaching, but they're not always very easy to come by. But fortunately enough, my own club, Young Munster, were looking for a director of rugby and it was full time. 
So I signed on there for four years. So as I was with Munster, I was coaching in schools and I was coaching a bit with the Munster A team as well, which for the last two years, that four years. So I kind of kept my, my foot in the professional setup as, as, um, as a coach. Rob Penny was the head coach there at the time. And to be honest with you, Johnny, I, I, in Ireland, you've not to a few more clubs than, than Scotland. We've only four professional teams. I know in Scotland, you've, you've two. So coaching roles are very hard to come by. So um, I literally did up my CV and contacted any player or coach that was linked to a club all over the world, to be honest with you, from New Zealand to, to England to, to everywhere, trying to, I suppose, look for an opportunity because I knew in Ireland it would be quite hard to come by um, in terms of getting right back into the professional side. So Bernard Jackman was over with Grenoble at the time. Um, he was into his second year. He was over with Fabrice Landreau, who's the director of rugby, and they were looking for a skills coach. And um, I'd, know, I'd known Birch from home, Bernard, sorry. And um, he set up an interview with me with, with Fabrice. And I came over and fortunately he gave me the job. And I went in there as a, as a skills coach. And as you alluded to, I'd done a year in, in Bourguan uh, as a player. So I had a, a taste of, of what the top 14 was like and the French league. And I loved it, actually. Um, I should have probably stayed longer than I did as a player, but I ended up going in there. And you know what? It was a really good role to go in terms of, of just my language. I, I, I the basic French. I was there as a year, sorry, for a year as a player. I, probably, I should have <laughs> learned learned more of it or, or got the language better, but I didn't. But fortunately, I came back, went into Grenoble, skills coach. And as I said, the role allowed me just, it was a year where you weren't presenting videos. You're in behind a small bit. Um, and, and one, to, to get into professional rugby. Two, um, as I said, to, to improve my language. And once you have the language, as you know, from playing here, things become a lot easier, yeah. especially for a coach, because it's a big challenge when you don't have it at starting. Your most important thing in coaching is getting your message across to the players. And as a skills coach, I kind of had that luxury. And in the second year, I went in as the backs coach and you're presenting videos. But obviously, as time went on, I went in as I became, sorry, uh, the attack coach and, and I kind of led on from that. But So it was kind of a, a gradual step, which was really good in terms of of, of, I suppose, coaching experience, but also from a language point of view, because I was, I was really conscious about getting the language that my message was getting across. And obviously at that point, you didn't know you'd still be in France nine years later, but it's a yeah, big move, yeah. isn't it, for, uh, from a whole life perspective. So uh, at that stage, was it kind of, you mentioned you, you'd put the CV out, you you could have ended up anywhere, but you were willing to take any any chance that came because you knew that coaching was what you wanted to do. Yeah, yeah, I suppose absolutely. I when I was twenty three, I was with Munster at that stage, and I did my shoulder and I did my cruciate in my first game back. So it was like I, I thought I was going to have to retire, but um, fortunately, Munster kept me on. But within that kind of year, year and a bit, when I when I had those injuries, and I was young enough as well, so I decided to coach just you know at lower level coaching or lower level leagues or whatever um i was given a couple of opportunities to go in with teams and it was just literally to get a taste of it just to get confident in, in speaking to groups and you know i suppose just learning how to become a coach and uh it was always something that i suppose that stuck to me and i had an ambition that when i did finish that if it could get into professional coaching it would be something that that would definitely appeal to me and so it was something always in the back of my mind while i was playing and i think that was a bit of why i went away as well when I went to France, I went to England to Gloucester for a year. So I experienced different different cultures, different different ways of playing the game. Um, so many different coaches, so many different players. And I used to always, as a, as, as a player, I suppose, as a nine as well, you're, you're involved, obviously, in everything. Um, I used to always jot down stuff that I feel that would be 
for me that kind of I suppose was something that was that I would use as a coach going forward so I, I suppose from that early age I knew I was always going to be a coach it just depended would it be just with a, a, my local club at home or would I get the opportunity to go abroad and fortunately I did and, and a big thanks to Bernard Jackman as I always said he he was the one that opened the door for me and obviously that in France the, the nine is the number one so as a as a nine and a mm. coach did you kind of automatically sort of integrate into the French rugby culture I did and as I said the year even in Bourguin stood to me a bit as well you know but yeah once we came over I, I came over myself my wife and my daughter at the time Emma she's 17 early now she was 8 at the time so big change for, for them as well we didn't know how long it was going to be for and as I said I did fortunately I ended up getting the, the attack role in, in Grenoble and I stayed there for 4 years did a year in Oyonnax which was a great experience as well a tough experience but a really good one did a year in, in Stad and, and I'm into my third year in, in Racing. So I really enjoy uh, France as a country. I love the league. It's a very, very competitive league. It's it's week in, week out, non-stop marathon, but um, very challenging in a, in a very good way. And as I said, every 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 week, every game in the top 14 is, and Johnny, you would have known from, from playing there as well, just um, there's something special nearly about every game. So uh, that's what kind of keeps it interesting. And uh, yeah, I've just thoroughly enjoyed my time over here. It's a great way to do it as well, to pack up and take a skills role and to work your way up the way you have done. It's incredible. I wanted to ask you quickly, moving from Stade Francais, obviously your time in Paris, moving across to Racing and moving across to the dark side or the good side, which we would have seen it before. What yeah. was that like? Obviously being part of the staff at Stade Francais and moving to rivals across City. Yeah, I actually, to be honest, I didn't have too much time to think about it because <laughs> I was in Stade, I was in Stade Francais and I was actually on my way down to, not literally, but a few weeks later down to Toulon, down to Patrice Galezzo. Patrice had, had asked me to go down there to coach because I'd played with Patrice in, in Gloucester for a season. And um, I was literally nearly signed on to go and then, I think it was around April or May or so, Fabien Galtier came looking for Laurent Levite in, in Racing. So it happened really late and Racing contacted Raj Ron Nagara and he was on the way back from, from Crusaders and it hadn't been announced at where he'd signed. So obviously Racing contacted him because he'd been previously there and he's, he told him he was going to, going to go to, to La Rochelle just for a different challenge. And he said, look, Try Mike and see what see what the story is. I know he's in chat talks with another club. So it just happened very, very quickly, quite late as well. So I ended up meeting Laurent Trevers and had a good chat with him. And he showed me around with the players and or, or the rest of the staff and out in the training facilities. And it didn't make, take me too long to to make up my mind. And then coming over, yeah, no, there was no um there was no, no, I don't think so. I don't think so, to be honest. And not not that I remember. Not that I heard. Maybe maybe there was that I didn't hear about. But uh, no, I, as I said, I, I uh, settled in really, really quickly in terms of just being a, such a good club. It's incredible setup. As I said, the boys here, the players, I had two lads from Ireland that I would have known. I would have played with Dunica Ryan and, and then Zeb, Simon Zeb, I knew from home as well. So that made it a small bit easier, obviously, having familiar faces around. And But yeah, it's, it's, it's been a, a really good experience for for all the years I've been here, but I suppose wrestling in terms of the club and the structure and the setup and the players has been probably, you know, probably next level or right. Yeah. And you mentioned Lauren Traver showed you around. Did Jackie Lorenzetti get the checkbook out and wine you and dine you? And what's he like? <laughs> no, no, a lovely guy. Lovely guy. Um, I met with, with Jackie. I'd, I'd spoke to him over the phone and I met with him and signed my contract with him and stuff. And no, there wasn't too much of a hullabaloo. He's very down to earth. Great fella. 
not you don't see him a huge amount. He'll, he'll pop in, show his face, and you know, little chats here and there. But he leaves you do his, his your job, which is you know massively important here in, in France because I know there is other experiences in, in other clubs that it might be the same as that. But um, Jackie is is he's a securing man to to work for as well in terms of he doesn't react. Um, straight away off, off results even when we had a couple of when I arrived the first year actually we had a, it was a World Cup year so we had 13 boys away in the World Cup and we struggled at the start um, but there was never any panic from him recently enough as you alluded to a couple of months back losing a couple of games um, he had a quiet word or two with us but nothing too um, nothing too much to be honest Shane, nothing too extravagant and um, yeah so he's been he's been you know a, a very good man to work for to be honest Shane. And as I said, the facilities, how we eat, um, obviously if the the arena, just everything here is is you know in terms of what he's put into it and what he's invested is 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 incredible. So to try and win something and win a trophy, um, especially European Cup trophy, is something that you know he really wants to get his hands on. It would be a, a really nice thing to do if, if I'm still here, if it's this year or next year or whenever it is. And, you know, it's really, really for Jackie, for, for what he's invested into the place. No, he's done an amazing job. And in terms of you and your responsibilities, you've gone from obviously skills coach, backs coach, elevated responsibility. Do you see yourself that as a specialised role forever? Or in terms of ambitions, would you love to be a sort of director of rugby type role? Would you like to be in charge one day? Uh, potentially down the road. Yeah, I, I'm I'm in no real rush, Danny. I just think as a coach, you know, you're always you're always learning. I know it's a bit of a, a cliche, but you are always learning. I'm, I just think as an assistant, as as an attack coach, as I said, I started skills coach, backs coach, attack coach. So there was a general progression there. Um, what I do at the moment, I suppose my passion would be the, the attack side of it. And I think to be a director of rugby and an attack coach, for example, it's probably a hard thing to do. There's so much stuff, as you know, that goes off, goes on off the pit. Sorry, in terms of recruitment, there's just uh, recruitment is one. There's just so much stuff, and especially here in you look at France, even in terms of your quota with Chief, you talk about recruitment. Recruitment here is uh, even a lot more um, challenging, and there's a huge responsibility to it because you're trying to get the balance of Chief and non-Chief, and getting recruitment in early and, and whatnot. And the market's gone so so uh, competitive, but um, but overall, yeah, it's something I probably maybe in a number of years, but. I, I just really enjoy tracksuit working, coaching videos, individual uh, videos, being in amongst the boys. And I think as a director of rugby, I think that, you know, you pull yourself away from that. And I think it's something that when I'm a small bit older, if I'm still in the game, hopefully that's it's something I would look at. Uh, and you mentioned Ronan O'Gara recommended you for the role you're in now. And um, you were saying he was giving you a call just as you were coming on to to join us. So um, I don't know if he's your agent, but I've heard you, heard him speaking about you going back to Munster and coaching there, saying what a good job you'd do. So don't know if you thank him for that or not. But have we got a world exclusive? Are you going back to Munster? No, 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 no. I've, there's there's nothing. And I think you know what the Munster obviously a couple of coaches are, are are leaving at home, and there's obviously an array of coaches, uh, Irish coaches that have come abroad, um, in France and England and stuff, and once coaches move on it's a natural I suppose reaction to go you know we've coaches that are coaching in France in in, in La Rochelle in, in Racing and I think it's it's more more that than anything but no I, I'd be very tight Raj we, we, we call each other a couple of times a week so and just exchanging rugby philosophies and general chit chat and whatnot we played with each other in Munster so we know each other a long time but um, in terms of that no it's 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 more um, or 
a general chit chat. Absolutely. Did you call him when he tipped you for the job in the media, saying, "What are you doing? I've got a job." <laughs> no, 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 he's he's only writing these articles, so he's uh, he's trying to fill it in. He's trying to fill of it course. In. <laughs> and you mentioned earlier on some of the coaches you worked under before. So just give us a an insight into who were your sort of coaching mentors, I guess, or the people you looked up to and, and kind of wanted to follow in their footsteps? I suppose from a, a young age, there would have been Declan Kidney, who's the director of rugby in, in London Irish, in terms of more so in his management style. He left his coach's coach, which he, which he still does, but he was just a real kind of, I suppose, leader of men. He was able to bring everything together. He was just incredibly organised and something that I, I, I like to pride myself on as well as just being organised. And a lot of it, I suppose, in terms of, you know, your day-to-day, I would have seen Decky on, on on how he operated and he ran an, in, an incredible ship at that time and probably still does looking at the London Irish's um, season this year they're going quite well and then I suppose then you had your your technical coaches as, as you went along and being honest there was another guy that I suppose helped me and he helped me to get in here was Bernard Jackman incredibly good coach he's on the telly an awful lot he's he's a brilliant um, he's brilliant at doing he's, he's analyzing he's analyzing um, but as a coach, he was the very same. He was. I remember going into uh, or working with him as as looking at the attack and stuff. And I remember thinking to myself, and there's no disrespect or anything, but as a hooker, talking about edge plays and back plays and whatever. And the guy had it, his knowledge from one to fifteen, as I would call it. He's a one to fifteen coach. Something that another coach who worked with Paul O'Connell from home had that as well. Dean Ryan was another guy, another coach. Sorry. Who's, a, who's with the Dragons now, who's with me and who I was with in, the, in Gloucester in terms of he's 1-15 to 15 coach. Coach Scotland to their highest ever Six Nations finish as well, Dean Ryan. He was my head coach when we finished third. Great coach. Yeah, just, just and I'm sure you probably, just from 1-15, to 15, so what a tight head, what a loose head. Simplistic as well. What a, absolutely, from a loose head to, to, to 15 in terms of backfield cover, he just seemed to have everything covered. And as I said, Birch was quite like that as well. And Paul O'Connell in terms of a detailed coach, um, you know, I, I'm talking now the last couple of years that it would have, would have worked with. Obviously, back in the day, it would have been Declan Kidney, Alan Gaffney, another coach, a coach in Leinster and Munster. He was a Munster head coach. He was a brilliant uh, technical coach. And given how highly you talk of him, are you surprised that Bernard isn't in a coaching role at the moment, or is he a bit like Johnny and he fancies the easy life in the media? Yeah, no, he, you know <laughs> what? He, 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 he enjoyed France, so did his family. He went to Wales, his family weren't with him. He was over in his own and I think, you know, he, he wanted to be settled back in, in Ireland. So the opportunity through his media is probably, yeah, it's probably an easier life. He still does a bit of coaching um, and he's working for a company. So I think the balance overall kind of suits him and, and he's happy with that. And he's lived it. He's done it. He's seen it. But uh, but in terms of rugby knowledge, incredibly, uh, incredibly ra- well-rounded. We've touched on this before, Johnny. You don't fancy the coaching hours, do you? Yeah, I'm out, mate. <laughs> I'm in the southwest. Yeah. I'm at the beach. I'm happy. Leave me alone. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, there's, there's pros and cons. There's pros and cons for sure. There are my, my biggest fear, honestly, and you mentioned a guy like Bernard, who every player that I spoke to loved working with him, but for one reason or another, it wouldn't end up working well, and he'd be moved on. You know that with professional rugby, as a coach or a player, it's cutthroat, and it's two-year contracts and three-year contracts. I just I didn't want to take the risk of having to move my family around continually because I'd have been a terrible yeah. coach and I got sacked after six <laughs> yeah. months at every club. So that's, that's understandable. That is which, the, the which happens. That is the risks you go with, hundred percent. And no, we've talked about some of the big stars you've got: Rassing, the Finn Russells, the Curly Bales. Um, I just want to mention one of the youngsters because talk to us about Nolan Legarrick because mm. he's someone that maybe not everyone would have heard of outside of France, and he has got a certain Antoine Dupont ahead of him in the scrum half pecking order, but. 
a lot of people are excited about him. So just give us an insight into how good he is. Yeah, he, he's a super talent. He's a guy, as you said, that not too many probably have heard about him yet, but they will quite soon, I think. Uh, incredible talent, incredible competitor. That's, uh, you know, he's obviously got huge uh, talent. He works really, really hard. He's really driven. He's challenging, which is great for a coach. And as a nine, I suppose you you always kind of strike up those relationships with, with halfbacks. But um, he's just so he's so competitive. Unfortunately, he's injured at the moment, um, so he's been out for a while. And and look, he's got Max Mashno there, Teddy Ibrahim. So he's got a lot of quality as well that he's pushing against. Teddy has been out for for this season, unfortunately, crucial as well. And Max um, has has been playing a lot of games regularly and playing very very well. So he's taken little bits of learnings from all of them as well. Incredibly quick. Really good passing game. He's dangerous. He's strong. He's got pretty much everything. He's got phenomenal footwork. And he's someone that I think, provided he, he oh, I'm sure he'll get past this, this injury, he's had a little shoulder operation. Hopefully he'll, he'll, uh, he'll come back this around March. And I could see he's someone that will really explode onto the scene probably next season. 2023 World Cup, Johnny. He's one to watch out for. Mate, I've done a few of his games for Premier Sports this year, and he's, great, sorry, he's great sensational. Place kicker, great place kicker, which shows his his composure, the mentality of, of of the kid. You know, he's as I said, he's he's he follows rugby. He studies this. He's he's challenging in, in a very uh, positive manner. He's got a lot going from huge amount going from him. He's he's a great lad on top of it. He trains the house down. He's like a lot of this new generation young French players. They they want detail. They want to know why. Uh, I think traditionally, maybe over the last number of years, maybe when I started here, detail maybe wasn't the at the front of everything for them. Now the players they're a lot more challenging, and and it's not by chance. I think you're looking at them and potentially being number one, two, or three in the world with all the talent they've had, and they've always had kind of that talent. But when you marry that with a small bit of structure, detail, and even the game over here, the top fourteen, Johnny, I'm sure you've seen it, boys, as well. Just Ball in play. There's a lot more, and I know it sounds a bit strange, but there's a lot more 4G pitches, hybrid yeah. pitches. So the game is quicker. You, you often hear people saying about, um, you know, it's it's a marathon, it's a slugfest. Of a, I think people take that up still as being a slugfest, as in a slow game. It's not a slow game here anymore. It's a marathon and a slugfest in terms of it's it's so long. It's the bones of 10 or 11 months or 10 months, whatever way you look at it. But um, in terms of the game and, and, and ball in play, the speed of it, the speed of rock, it's, it's, it's massively pushing on and it's not by chance. That's why I think the French team, when you marry in all those those ideas or, or those ways, I, I just think it's, it's uh, along with the talent they have there, you talk about 2023, they're going in the right direction and they've been well, I suppose, led there at the moment with the French coaching staff that are in there. And the way the game's going over here is suited to a bloke like Nolan, his determination. I already pegged them as a young Morgan Parra. But Benji mm. Kayser told me I was getting excited and I couldn't compare him to his, his old mate Morgan yeah. Parra. But but for me, he's as good as, if not physically better. I actually I can remember I when I was in Borgoan, Morgan was there. So Morgan played with us and he was my he was 10 and I got injured. And Miguel Forrest, he was another number nine, he was injured. So Morgan ended up going in number nine. And I remember the first game watching him. And I just said to myself, This guy is this done. guy's got yeah, he's, he's going one way only. And it didn't matter as a nine or a ten. He obviously ended up in nine, as nine, and an incredible, and still is an incredible player. Um, yeah, he's he's quite similar. I I would think um, Nolan's probably a bit more agile. He's a bit quicker. He's he's very very quick. He's lightning quick, and he's got lightning footwork. But yeah, there, there's there's a lot of similarities between them actually. When I, when I think about it now, yeah, knowing them both at the same age, 
Morgan would have been challenging and you know he know he knew where he wanted to go and, and he went there. And I think um I think Nolan is 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 definitely going that way as well. You know, he's, he's got rugby in his blood as well. He's as I said, he's 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 a student of the game as well. The other new face I wanted to ask you about, so who was in the academy when I was at Cast is Yuan Tanga, who's mm. been impressive for you over the past few seasons. Um, and now just been named in his first French squad, which is incredible for him. So I wanted to give us a little take on his personality, the type of player as well that he is, because that is a huge statement for him to get selected in his first squad. Yeah, and massively deserving as well. He's been he's been our definitely our most consistent player this year. He's uh, personality wise, he's quite a quite a he's a lovely guy. He's a quiet kind of guy, unassuming. Gets on with his job. Doesn't say a huge amount. Um, I think the one thing that separates him. Is, is his footballing skills. He's incredibly comfortable. So for us, it's, it suits us massively, uh, especially down the edges. He's got really, really good footwork. If you, as you, you know him, Johnny, he, he's not the biggest of guy. No, he's not a massive man. He's not, but he's got really good footwork before contact. Um, and it's just his, his skill set sets him apart. So he's a great, he's a great, I suppose, number eight in terms of off strike plays. If you're running patterns and you want the player to pull these passes in behind, he's just so comfortable. So you can actually... For me, what I try to do here is I try to build a lot around him, even though we've huge names and huge talents. But in his position, pivotal position, as you well remember, Johnny, it's uh, you can put a lot through him, and um, he's he's been incredible for us. He's moving on. Unfortunately for us, to La Rochelle next year, they're getting a heck of a player. Good signing for for Raj and Donica Ryan down there. Um, <laughs> Did he call you about that? <laughs> we we'll we'll miss him here. <laughs> Raj wasn't ringing me about him, by the way. <laughs> Cheers, Raj. I didn't get a call for a few weeks when a few of our boys signed down there, but that's the, the professional sport we live in, isn't it? But um, so, yeah, I'm delighted for for, for Yoyan to get called in. And as you alluded to, you look at the French back rows at the moment and it's strength and depth that's there. That's that's a huge achievement alone, getting into the, to the squad at the moment. He's young enough to progress, which he will. Um, and he's got a big future ahead of him as well, Yoyan, yeah. And you mentioned France as one of the top two or three teams in the world. France went well in the autumn. Ireland went well in the autumn. You've got a foot in both camps. Who's winning the Six Nations? I have to say Ireland. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, it's, it's going to be really interesting in terms of, even you look at the, the English squad today being picked, there's a lot of young boys in there that are incredibly talented boys, Mark Smith, etc. So for me, it's and you look at, Scotland, I think, over the last couple of years. You don't have to mention Scotland. You don't have to. Scotland Scotland has been, uh, have showed what they're they're capable of. Uh, Wales, obviously, is, is, are a very, very good side. A lot of injuries, just looking at the the amount of caps, they're they're, they're short in this Six Nations. So that could be a tough one for them. And, and Italy, we, we all, we all hope they're, that they improve as, as things go on, you know. So, but I definitely think France and Ireland are probably, maybe ahead of, of, of everyone at the moment, probably in terms of, of their depth as well. So if you do get injuries, that they have guys to step in. But um, yeah, between Ireland and, and, and France, it's a hard one to call. Um, I think just, I think, yeah, hard one to call. I'll leave it at that. <laughs> <laughs> and just finally bringing it back to the Champions Cup. I know you weren't there for the first couple of defeats in the final that, that Racing had, but you mentioned the last one. Just how painful was that for everyone and how much does it drive you all on to wanting to reach the pinnacle again this year and go one better 
Ah, it does. It does. And as I said, you can see the weeks that you come in and you have Champions Cup, the, the level and the intensity goes up. There's a different, we call it, as the French call it, there's a different air there when, uh, when the weeks are our Champions Cup. And going back to the final, probably the hardest, being a final as well, it was the hardest defeat that I've come across, definitely as a coach, you know, because I hadn't ever been to Champions Cup. But I just remember looking around the dressing room and looking at boys that last three finals. When Laurie's last four finals, one with Ritz as well. My heart, I just went out to them, to be honest, Shen. The other side of it, they left nothing out there. You couldn't have asked for any more in the final. We, we played well. And until Claston's gets over the line, gets pulled back, you know. So a really, really tough one to, to swallow. But professional sport moves on and, and we had to. And we came in the following week and we we're into the top 14. Obviously, this year, back into two competitions. And as, as I said, there's, there's a hunger there's a huge hunger there there's a huge want both from all the staff and, and, and from the players and as I said a lot of those players here have lost three finals there's a bit of a turnover it was well documented we've 23 players out of contract this year so there's probably a good seven or eight players that would have been here for a number of years like Max Max Machineau and Teddy Tomit are moving on so I'm sure and I know that you know they do want to win something together and, and hopefully this can be could be the year for us but um, there's a lot of quality teams out there and obviously to get back deep into competition, you need to be consistent and um, hopefully we can we can kick on and that's that's our goal. We're looking good at the moment and thanks so much for coming on and sharing your insight with us and good luck for securing that number one seeding this weekend. Great stuff. Thanks for having me on, guys. Great to chat. Thanks for joining us, Mike. Thanks a lot. Cheers, boys. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. A really interesting to have Mike on and a couple of bits that stood out. I mean, firstly, obviously the motivation of Racing in terms of other top 14 clubs that may not be motivated in the Champions Cup. They're clearly hurting and really want to win it. But more than anything, how he started, he could have ended up anywhere in the world, sending his CV off everywhere. Incredible. Um, no, you're right. In- insightful on-, on the sort of wider picture of Racing as a club. And you can see the passion that he has for the sport and and for his club and his players, which was great. But more importantly, like you mentioned, the route and how he did it, the, the fact that he sent out a CV. And-, and it could have been you end up working in Ireland, which is the easier option if you can find a spot, or in England or New Zealand, like you mentioned in your first language. But the fact that you take up a spot in Grenoble as a skills coach without the language and work your way up to become the attack coach at Racing 92, one of the biggest clubs in the world, um, is insane. So no, that was great to hear about his story, uh, his travels um, and his route. Just fantastic. And they have raised their levels in the Champions Cup this season. Some of the performances you were talking about, maybe not the one at the weekend, wasn't wasn't their best, but they still won. And um 
no one is going to want to face him in the knockout stages with Trevor Nayakani there to beef up that pack. Well, I, I didn't really want to press him too much. I didn't want him to be disparaging about what's gone on in, in November, December and those months, the match, matches that I've worked at, but they, they've been weak at scrum time. Uh, and he talked a lot and at length about that dominance on the gain line um, going forward, winning collisions and intensity and how that unleashes his backline. Um, and they couldn't do that because they didn't have a platform. So that man arriving is absolutely key. I, I would have said if something hadn't been done, they hadn't signed a supplementary player like him, they wouldn't have gone any further. Yes, they could have won some collisions in the midfield and unlocked some defences. But if you're playing against the big dogs in the, in, in the knockout end of this championship, both championships, you know, top 49 Champions Cup rugby, you need a scrum that stands up and can achieve parity at least and not squeak and give away penalties and easy field positions. So the fact that he's signed will make a massive difference to their chances in, in both both competitions come um, come knockout time. Right. It's about time we did our meter moment of the week, isn't it? So do you want to take it away, Johnny? Yeah, an alternative one this week, but one that I really enjoyed watching. So because he was part of a side that won 45-10 and they played some fantastic flowing rugby, some of it was champagne, somebody that's been on the podcast who normally plays wing or fullback and is a very, very talented man because he got asked to play nine and did it and made it look easy uh, and was making the opposition look stupid. So Santi Cordero for his performance, I think being told he was playing scrum half the day before the game as well. It wasn't even in the plan, last minute injuries and the way that he played was integral to that Bordeaux performance where they were utterly dominant. Um, so our meter moment of this weekend's rugby is Santi Cordero and his performance as a scrum half instead of his regular slot as winger. He was superb. Carreras plays on the wing for Gloucester, fly half for Argentina. You never know, Cordero. <laughs> Easy. Well, that I mean, I've I don't know. You've got people that have slotted in. We've had some Burgomasco experiments in the past that have been disastrous. You don't go from a back row to to scrum half, but Santi. I mean, the guy's a phenomenon with ball in hand. But the way he distributed the ball, the way he kicked, all of it, amazing to watch. An amazing performance. That was Johnny's meter moment of the week. And meter is the world's number one wireless meat thermometer. They've made over 9 million cooks better with their revolutionary app as well. So it's no surprise their users are growing rapidly every day. If you've ever said your pork or turkey's dry, then meter is for you. And you can use it on a barbecue, in the oven, or in a pan. Enter a whole new world of cooking and join the metaverse at meter.com. And just use the code FrenchPod10 at checkout for 10% off any full price item as well. We chatted a little bit about round three earlier on. So let's have a quick look ahead to round four of the Champions Cup now then and the various permutations. Rassing and La Rochelle are through already. Realistically, Bordeaux and Toulouse are going to join mm-hmm. them. Which other French sides, Johnny, are making it through? Incredibly, after last week's game, potentially Montpellier. Um, if they can pick up a point or two points at home this weekend, I'll be at that one for BT Sport. But I mean, potentially they can go through uh, and it looks like they're the only French side really, I think, that are in with a decent sniff, sniff, but you never know. They're definitely going to line a much strength inside this weekend, a bit of changed attitude. The fact they're at home, they're up against Exeter, which is a massive task. And again, champions of this competition for, for obvious reasons, they've been superb over the past few years. Um, can they do it? I don't know. But if they pick up a point, they're another sniff. So Montpellier potentially. Otherwise, I think we're looking like the obvious ones are through. But Montpellier only is the only one they could really squeak through with the last game. Tougher cast, I guess, away at Quinns. Clermont may make it through even if they don't get anything away at Ulster, I guess. Potentially. Um, you got to think Cass going to Harlequins is going to be hard. Although the loss that Cass suffered in the first or second round, I can't remember which round it was, they actually they were, they were in the game for long periods and it wasn't by much they lost. So in terms of power, 
and physicality. They're absolutely in, the, in that game. Um, they could nick it, but Harlequins have been very, very good over the past few weekends. So that's a big game for Cast. And again, that'll depend on what side they stick out and send over there against Quinns. And Stade Francais, as crazy as it sounds, I mean, they could even do it if they beat Connor at home. They could do. Um, <laughs> they've currently got two points. They're sitting on yeah. two points, but win this weekend and that's it. You, you jump ahead of Cast. And if Wasps lose, again, you can nick into eight spots. So it is possible against Stade Francais haven't consistently been good over the past month, month and a half, but stranger things have happened. So again, they'll be looking to get back on track, fighting for pride at home before they kick off the top 14 again. So it could be done. Anything could happen. Could be an interesting round four. Thanks, Johnny. A big thanks to Mike Prendergast for joining us as well. And thanks to all you guys for listening. Make sure you hit subscribe, leave us a nice review as well if you can. Check us out on Rugby Pass and on YouTube and we'll be back with another episode next week. Au revoir, Johnny. Cheers, Tim. Bye.